Hello, uh, my name is Ty Hall. I'm the worship pastor here at Fremont Community Church. Uh, and I'm really glad you guys are all here this morning. I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, as the worship pastor, I was actually just talking with my friend Nick during the community time. As the worship pastor, I'm generally the guy behind this microphone and guitar. And I really only get a chance to listen to the worship live when I get a chance to preach which is a weird experience because I'm very like concerned with preaching and like making sure I'm doing all the things correctly. So I generally, I just like zero in on like, okay, do I have my notes? Do I have my slides? Do I have all the things I need? Did I go to the bathroom beforehand? Is my fly up? Like I don't get a chance to actually listen to the worship, but this morning, because I had that thought last night, this morning I took a minute in those first two songs to just kind of worship with you all and just kind of listen to you all worship. And I just want to thank you all for being such a wonderful church community and a church family that we get to worship together. I really, really appreciate that. I don't necessarily always get to hear because I've got the, the earbuds in when I'm leading up here, but I just, I love worshiping with you all. Uh, this morning, we are uh, continuing in our series on Advent, and Advent is the lead-up to Christmas. We've got our Advent candles over here on the side, uh, and we'll be lighting another one uh, this morning, but it is the lead-up to Christmas, and I love Christmas. Do I have any other Christmas people in, in the congregation this morning? Yes! Yes, my people! I love Christmas. I love all that comes with Christmas. I love Christmas music so much, I'll even go and look for it in July sometimes. <laughs> Who said boo? Get out of here, Scrooge. Um, I love Christmas movies. Uh, uh, everything from the claymation ones to uh, Elf. Uh, I love Christmas cookies. I love Christmas dinners. I love peppermint everything. I love, 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 love Christmas. And I will not take this flannel slander of apparently you only need to wear red flannel. I'm wearing blue and purple flannel, and that counts. I will not take this flannel slander. So if you're wearing flannel, I stand with you. Um, I'm also really excited to preach this morning in our current series. We're in the middle of our series of Advent, but we're actually studying Advent through the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I took a whole class on it when I was in college. It's very dense and very chock full of, of lots of Old Testament detail and New Testament connections. So the fact that we're in one of my favorite seasons of the year and we're studying one of my favorite books of the Bible. I'm a very happy camper this morning. Uh, but before we jump into the, the meat of my sermon, would you all please pray with me as we open up God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together to worship you with song and with community and with your word. And God, we just pray uh, that you would open our eyes this morning. God, we thank you for all that you've already taught us through these first three weeks of the book of Hebrews. And God, we ask that you would continue to illuminate your scripture for us so that, God, we can learn who you are more. God, that we can draw closer to you. God, open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts so we can hear what you have to say for us this morning. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So, we're studying the book of Hebrews, as, as I said, and as uh, Pastor Eric and Adrian have said in the last few weeks, 
This is a very dense book. Uh, last week, Pastor Eric talked about Jesus as our high priest, part of a, a priesthood. And in ancient Jewish culture, this was a person who mediated for and represented the people of God to God. This was a key role in ancient culture, and the writer of Hebrews wants to point out that Jesus is the best version of that high priest. He breaks every barrier between us and God. He mediates for us. He prays for us. He represents us to the Father. Jesus is the best high priest. And the week before that, Adrian preached on the invitation to the promised land that we have through Jesus, an invitation that was better than what Moses had. Again, Better. Jesus has a better invitation, an invitation into true rest. And then back all the way in November, Pastor Eric opened up our series with Hebrews chapters 1 and 2, recognizing Jesus as the word of God made flesh. Jesus being the best representation of who God is. There's this theme for the whole book of Hebrews, that Jesus is better. The unnamed author of the book is really trying to drive home the point that these things are good, but Jesus is supreme to all of them. You can break it down into the simple phrase, that's good, this is better. So to get us into that headspace, I've got some fun examples for us this morning. I'm not a soda drinker, but I've heard Pepsi is good. I've heard Coca-Cola is better. Okay. I love baked potatoes. Put a little butter on there, a little salt, mm -mm -mm. but you know what's better? Loaded baked potatoes. Cheese, bacon, sour cream, come on now. The first three movies of the Star Wars trilogy, the prequels, I will say as a, a young millennial, I love these movies. These are good. I have to admit, the original trilogy is better. <laughs> Corey, Corey's clapping real loud for that one. I love a good milkshake of any kind, vanilla, chocolate. You give me like a simple milkshake that you can make at home, that's a good dessert. You know what's better? A milkshake with like seven different kinds of dessert on top of it. <laughs> that is better. My sweet tooths in the crowd are like, yes! Ray Allen and LeBron James. Ray Allen, one of the best three-point shooters of all time. LeBron James, one of the best to ever do it. You know what's better, Eric? Steph Curry, one of the, the best three-point shooter, and Michael Jordan, the absolute goat of the sport. Cut his mic, <laughs> he says. Now, I'm sure you might want to debate some of these. Maybe you are a really big Pepsi fan. Maybe you really like the prequel trilogy of Star Wars films. But that's kind of the purpose of the book of Hebrews is to encourage new Israelite believers to not fall back into old habits, to have this discussion that the old was good for a time, the new is better. Jesus is better. And that's where we pick up in the middle of Hebrews. We're going to be reading through uh, bits of chapter 8 through chapter 10 this morning. And from the, the beginning of chapter 8 through verse 13, the author of Hebrews is telling us that the old covenant is done. The new covenant is here. It's time. The old covenant that the Israelites were a part of involved a temporary space for worship called the tabernacle and then a more permanent uh, space for worship called the temple. 
Uh, there was an order of priests, including the high priest that Pastor Eric talked about last week. And there were many practices and rituals that took place, including multiple types of animal and harvest sacrifices. But the author ends this section of Hebrews with uh, a quote from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, and then a quick summary of these verses at the end. So we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 8, but just for context, this uh, passage of scripture is quoting Jeremiah 31. Here's what it says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Sorry, I had to split this into two slides, and so I'm making sure I didn't. <laughs> ah, here we go. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my trust I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And here's the summary that I was talking about in verse 13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. All of these things that are wrapped up when it comes to the, new, uh, the old covenant are no longer the same. What once was necessary is no longer needed. The, the writer calls them obsolete and outdated. It's time to upgrade. So if this old covenant is done, what's taking its place? The old covenant served a purpose. It allowed the people of Israel to interact with God. So how does the new covenant do this? Well, let's take a look at how the old covenant interacted first, and then we can see where we're going with the new. Last week, we talked about the high priest. One of the main responsibilities of this high priest was to mediate between, God, between God's people and God. Once a year, the high priest would enter a place called the Holy of Holies, a space where God's presence was said to dwell. In order to enter this space, the high priest would need to make a sacrifice for the sins that he had committed. In order to be this close to God, the high priest needed to be blameless, without sin, without evil. Not such an easy task, considering that all humans make mistakes every single day. So, a price had to be paid. The result of committing sin is death, and so an animal would be sacrificed in order for the priest to enter the Holy of Holies. Pastor Eric talked about this way more in depth last week, and so if you missed last week's sermon, I'd encourage you to go back to our website or our YouTube channel and find that sermon for a deeper dive into the role of the high priest and how Jesus is the best version of that. Today, we're going to focus on the sacrifice portion of this interaction, though. To start, we have to ask a few questions. Why was there a sacrifice happening in the first place? Did a sacrifice have to be made? Why did God choose to set up a covenant with animal sacrifice as such a key part of it? You could almost do a whole sermon on just the Old Testament side of this conversation. But here's the important thing to note. God wanted his people to take sin seriously. This was something that was costly, and we'll get to that in a second. But he also met the Israelites where they were in their context. In the ancient world, animal sacrifices were a more common occurrence than we'd probably like to think about. 
And so when this shows up in the covenant with God, the ancient, Isra- the ancient Israelites would not necessarily be surprised. And it would actually seem maybe a little familiar to them based on what they were seeing around them. Now, why was, this, why was sacrifice an element that was added in the first place? Well, since almost the very beginning of the Bible, we see that sin or evil is in the world. This sin exists inside of all humanity and all of creation. At times, we can look out at the world and say, there's so much evil out there. Or we can look at other people and say, there's so much evil over there. But the same root of that evil lies inside of all of us. Again, God wants us to take sin seriously. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. With all of this in mind, then, we see the animal sacrifices come into play in the Old Testament. Regularly, Israelites would bring an animal of value to the altar and it would be killed to offset the punishment that was deserved. And this wouldn't be just any animal either. As I said, sacrifice was meant to be costly. This was an animal that represented either food or money, oftentimes both. The animal itself was a monetary and physical sacrifices. These were raised for work or for sale And taking a piece of your livelihood for a symbolic sacrifice was supposed to feel like a sacrifice in more than one way. On top of that, there was the physical act of sacrificing an animal. I won't spend too much time on the details and specifics of that, but even just the five senses observing an animal sacrifice was a brutal experience. This was not something to take lightly. In the Bible, you'll find an almost unsettling amount of talk about blood, but the blood was symbolic. And it's not necessarily a symbol we use all the time in the modern day, but blood was a symbol of life. The blood of the animal was a symbol of the life that was lost due to the sin in our lives. So, if you were an ancient Israelite, you'd be born into a culture where these animal sacrifices were happening for generations. You would participate, your parents would participate, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great, and so on, and so on, and so on. And the ideal situation would be that the cost of an animal sacrifice would allow people to turn a leaf, to turn a new page in a sense, repent and turn around. After sinning, you would go make a sacrifice and hopefully strive to do better, to do your best to follow God and the laws of the old covenant. But humans are imperfect. And so inevitably, we would sin again, and we'd have to make another sacrifice, and the cycle would go on and on and on. Sin, sacrifice, repent. Sin, sacrifice, repent. Over and over. This became so uh, regular, in fact, it became routine, that the prophet Isaiah in his book notes that the sacrifices have lost their meaning and value in his time. Isaiah goes on this huge, awesome rant against Israel in the start of his book, but one of the highlights comes from verses 11 and 13. It says this, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Stop bringing meaningless offerings Your incense is detestable to me. These offerings have lost their meaning to the people of Israel. 
This is from one of the major prophets speaking to God's people on God's behalf, and he is not playing around. God's not taking joy in these sacrifices. He didn't create earth and humanity and then forget, oh man, I should have created a system where I got a lot of animal blood. No, this was not something that God was looking forward to. It was needed for a time, but obviously this is not something God intended. Isaiah is actually a good connector, though, between the Old Covenant and the New. He saw the terrible state that the Old Covenant had fallen into and the lack of meaning that it held for the nation of Israel. At the time, he saw all this, but he also foresaw a king coming that would deal with the sin of God's people, but not from the place of power, not from the place of majesty like a king would, but he would come to serve and eventually and ultimately suffer for the sins of God's people. Throughout the book of Isaiah, you'll see this mention of a suffering servant. That is the answer to this problem that Isaiah sees. Fast forward then to the life of Jesus of Nazareth. The Son of God steps down from heaven, becomes fully human, fully God, and he then goes on to do something humanity has never done. Lives a totally perfect, sinless life. So he doesn't need any animal sacrifices. There's no need for the death that has plagued humanity from almost the very beginning. But when the people call for his death, he does not resist. In fact, he laid his life down for us. People who had sin living inside of us, he died on a cross for us. There's this incredible amount of parallels drawn between the sacrifices described in the Old Testament and the sacrifice of Jesus. If you've ever heard of Jesus referred to as the Lamb of God, this is where a lot of that imagery comes from. Lambs were often used as sacrifices uh, for sin. And they were young, they were blameless. There was nothing that the lamb had done, but they were still sacrificed for someone else's punishment. And Jesus was perfect, was blameless, but still died for someone else's punishment. This is, this, these parallels though, this is not an accidental thing. This is done on purpose to connect the old to the new. The same price was being paid, but the payment was different. This was not just an animal. This was the perfect son of God. The author of Hebrews notes this difference in chapter 10, verses 13 through 14. They say this, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death? so that we may serve the living God. The original sacrifices are good for what we needed them to be, but the sacrifice of Jesus is better. It is, in fact, perfect. As I mentioned before, the animal sacrifices had to happen regularly, over and over. Individuals would go with their families to make sacrifices on their own. The high priest would make regular sacrifices for God's people as a whole, and then he still had to make regular sacrifices to do things like go into the Holy of Holies. 
But Jesus sacrificed himself once. And it was payment for all. All people for all time. This new covenant is superior to the old in every single way. There is no argument to be made here. We even see it in the last passage of scripture. The blood of animals is good for outward cleansing, but the blood of Christ cleanses us down to our consciences, down to our internal thoughts. This is the greatest sacrifice that has ever been given. The author, excuse me, the author of Hebrew notes that the old covenant is actually an inferior reflection of the new covenant. Eric mentioned briefly last week that the Holy of Holies, this place that no one was supposed to go, was this uh, intersection of heaven and earth. One place full of sin and pain, the other completely perfect in every way. And this perfect nature was closed off to most of humanity except for one high priest once a year. The sacrifice of Jesus tears that barrier down and brings humanity into a new covenant into the presence of God. Not only is this new covenant better than the old, though, the sacrifice of Jesus is better than any animal sacrifice could have ever been. Jesus experienced every bit of human life. He experienced love and rejection, joy and grief, struggle and success. He was scorned and rejected by God's people, and he still chose to sacrifice himself for them and for us. Not because he had to, but because he loves us. In this new covenant, the ritual practice of animal sacrifice is no longer necessary, but we've actually gained some new rituals and practices that we experience here regularly. We celebrate baptism here. That's part of the new covenant. This is a symbolic representation of the sacrifice of Jesus. We are dead to sin in, uh, that is living inside of us, and we are alive in Christ. And this is actually one of the reasons why we practice baptism by full immersion, by dunking someone completely under the water. When someone goes completely under, that is meant to represent them being dead to their sin completely. And when they come back up from under, they are alive, they are a new creation, part of the new covenant, this symbol. One of our other regular sacraments is communion. We celebrate communion once a month, and this is a reenactment of the last supper that Jesus shared with his disciples before his sacrifice on the cross. He used this meal to tell his disciples what was about to happen and used the food itself to portray his death as a sacrifice in ways that they would understand. And today, we remember that sacrifice and participate in the meal with the, that the original disciples of Jesus shared. All of this, what does it mean for us today? This new covenant that we are all a part of, this Advent candle that we're going to be lighting today is the Advent candle of love. This immeasurable, perfect love that is shown to us, we are a part of the new covenant here today. We're going to sing a new song this morning, and uh, it's written by a group called The Porter's Gate. And it's honestly one of my favorite worship songs recently. The song is called Christ is Lower Still, and if you look up the song on YouTube, you'll hear one of the members giving uh, a bit of a background to why they wrote the song. And I just kind of want to paraphrase their explanation of it because I think it's important for this morning.
This group took their inspiration for the song from a statue made by an Italian sculptor, uh, Guido Giletti. And in 1954, Giletti made a bronze statue of Jesus with his arms raised up. But rather than installing this statue in a church or a museum for all to see, it was installed at the bottom of the sea off the coast of Italy. Now, since then, two other statues have been made using the same cast, but all have been placed at the bottom of the ocean. Why? Well, if you think of this idea of Jesus reaching up toward the heavens, in order to see this piece of art, you need to get some scuba gear. You've got to go down. You have to swim down, down, down into the bottom of the ocean. And the further down you swim, the closer you are to seeing Jesus with his arms outstretched to you. And there are plenty of songs that are written about finding God at the top of the mountain, about seeing God in the victory and claiming the victory that he has and knowing that he is victorious. But there aren't as many songs about finding Jesus in the depths of our lives. But he is there just as truly and as fully in both places. I believe the chorus to this song, the words that we sing, are important for our series uh, in Hebrews. The song says this, Let the king descend, living word made flesh. Lift this heavy heart to your throne, O God. In your wounds I find room for all of mine. When from grace I fell, Christ was lower still. Even those first two lines are talking about the Christmas story. Living word made flesh, that is Emmanuel, God with us. Lift this heavy heart to your throne, O God. That is Jesus acting as our high priest, mediating for us, lifting our burdens to the throne of God. Finding room for our pain inside the pain of Christ and his experience, knowing that he has been there. And then when I eventually fall, as as part of being human, when we fall from grace, you know who's there waiting for us with open arms? Jesus. And he doesn't love you any less. Ultimately, All of this brings us to our Advent candle for this morning. And I'm actually going to invite the band back up as I close. We're going to sing this new song this morning, and we're also going to sing a a traditional Christmas song called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Both of these songs representing the love of God in such clear ways that Christ is with us. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. And even when we make mistakes, he loves us. There is no more perfect act of love than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This love is immense and it's bigger and more full than we could ever imagine. As we celebrate Advent, we even celebrate the amount of love that God has shown to us by becoming human, by sending Jesus to become one of us. And then we see his love displayed in the rest of his life 
and ultimately in his perfect sacrifice for us once and for all. As we continue to worship with song and by lighting the Advent candle, would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the perfect and ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. To know that this was done for us, not because we, you had to, but because you love us. To know that this love was shown in such a clear way, God, that you died for us. And God, we celebrate the love that you show us every single day. And God, even as we celebrate Advent, we celebrate the love that was shown on that very first Christmas. To know that you came down from heaven, you stepped out of heaven and became human. God, you lived among us. You experienced all that we can experience. God, that we can find room for our pain in your son. God, knowing that you are with us in the depths, you are with us in the victory. God, you love us no matter where we are in that spectrum, no matter where we are in that journey, you love us still. God, we celebrate this love. We thank you for it. We thank you for the life and death of Jesus and his resurrection. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.